Well, good evening, everybody. We welcome you into this week's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here, and tonight on the show, we profile Al Arbor, an original St. Louis Blue, chosen in the expansion draft off the Toronto Maple Leafs. He had won three Stanley Cups prior to coming to St. Louis, one with the Blackhawks, two with the Maple Leafs, and Al Arbor finished his playing career as a St. Louis Blue, then began a coaching career with the St. Louis Blues. He would leave the St. Louis Blues, go to the New York Islanders, and become a legendary Hall of Fame coach that eventually had him elected into the National Hockey League Hall of Fame as in the builders category. So we're going to profile Al Arbor here tonight. And coming up on the show, we'll talk about Al through the eyes of one of his teammates and players, and that, of course, is Bobby Plager. And then Ray Ferraro, the former St. Louis Blue, who retired as a Blue, just like Al Arbor did. Ray Ferraro played for Al with the New York Islanders, and he just talks about exactly what made Al such an interesting, great coach, but he also tied it into the St. Louis Blues of last year, and I think you're going to want to hear that comparison because at least the way he described Al Arbor could be one heck of a comparison to the head coach of the St. Louis Blues have now. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors presents Behind the Bench. The home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardWalkHardwood.com. BoardWalk Hardwood Floors, great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Well, again, Al Arbor joined the St. Louis Blues as an expansion player for the 67-68 season. He would play four seasons with the Blues, 231 of his games played for the Blues out of the 626 that he had total in his career. Now, Al died four years ago. He died on August 28th of 2015 after uh, losing a battle to illness at 82 years of age. But a legendary coach that has a banner, having coached 1,500 games for the New York Islanders, all for the New York Islanders, and there's a great story on how he ended up getting that 1500th game. We're going to talk about that, his time with the Blues, the type of player he was, the type of coach he was. And here's some great stories on how Al Arbor became the National Hockey League coaching legend that he did become. And again, it all started right here with the St. Louis Blues. So let's get it rolling. Let's bring in Bobby Plager to help us kick off the show. Bobby, how are you? Oh, hanging in there. It's, uh, it's great to part of your show there with some of these uh, great players and coaches. Uh, I'm enjoying it. brings back a lot of memories, uh, these shows. What What do you remember most about Al Arbor? Well, you know, I, I remember Al. I go back a long way before the St. Louis Blues against Al. You know, playing in the minor leagues, Al was there. The year before St. Louis, I know I played for Baltimore. And, you know, on our team in Baltimore, we had Doug Harvey and Chuck Plant and uh we played against Rochester in the American League. That was a Toronto Farm Club. And Al Arbor, there was the guy out there, wore glasses, defenseman, the best shot blocker in uh, the American Hockey League at the time. In fact, he was the best shot blocker in, in all of hockey, and, and he was a winner. So I, I remember playing against him and then coming to St. Louis. Uh, you know, it's just the way Al Arbor was our captain of our hockey team. He was the first captain, and uh, he was very quiet. The only player in the NHL to wear glasses. But uh, what a captain he was. Uh, he wasn't loud, didn't yell, didn't go out there. But when you watched him play and the way he threw his body in front of shots and the injuries he had, and you know, you go in after a hockey game and everybody gets undressed to go to the shower and you look over and there's uh, 
There he is uh, standing there, all black and blue. His whole body was black and blue for blocking shots. So uh, you seen him do out there. So you went out there and you just, he was a leader. You followed. He did the same things. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned uh, his time in Rochester because here's a, here's a guy that, that came into the National Hockey League after junior hockey, played a little bit for Detroit, you know, and then, and then you know, obviously then broke into the NHL with Detroit and Chicago. But after playing, you know, what, what, six, seven seasons in the National Hockey League, then until he joined the Blues, he split his seasons between Toronto and Rochester. It was hard for him to be a full-time NHLer again at that point. So expansion really kind of revived and saved his playing career from that standpoint. Now, again, I'm talking 20 years ago now as well, but when I was working games in the American Hockey League and you used to go into the War Memorial, and I, I got to assume some of the pictures would still be there um, despite renovations and changes, but if you walked around the concourse at, at the old War Memorial there in Rochester where the Amherst played, you would see pictures of Al and those glasses stood out and they had one of him uh, kind of a, as a coach, so an older picture of him, but they had some of the younger uh, pictures of him up on the walls there and he was well-liked at just about every single place he went. Well, you know, uh, when you talk about Al Arbor, in, in those days, you know, the hockey defense was only uh, six teams, and, you know, he only dressed five defensemen. So Al Arbor, he played with Detroit, but he won a Stanley Cup with all those teams. Yep. And if you ever check Al Arbor's record, when it come playoff time, the team, he was playing in the minor leagues, but they always brought him up. He was there for all the playoffs because – it's a different brand of hockey. It's defensive. So uh, he would play in the minor leagues, but he would get called up. I mean, that's how good he was. He, he would get called up for the playoffs to play in the playoffs. And, again, you talk about Rochester. You know, they beat us out that year, too. And, and I think Al Arbor was uh, the reason they beat us out in the playoffs. And you go back to putting the St. Louis Blues team together with uh, Lynn Patrick and Scotty was there, but... You know, we always talk, Lynn Patrick always talked, and when he around, he got players, him and Scotty, the St. Louis Blues were made up of players that won championships. No matter where they played, their team would won a championship or else they'd been in championship games, lost in finals. So we were a team that was put together, not superstars, but every player in the St. Louis Blues had knew how to win, knew how to win in the playoffs and all that. And Al Arbor was a, a big, big part of that. What made Al Arbor the right choice to captain a team that had as many Montreal Canadiens, champions, and, and, and the type of players and the, the wide breadth of players that you guys had those first few seasons with the Blues? Well, you know, when he came in here, and we had the great Montreal Canadian players, but, you know, we didn't get Dickie Moore until later in the season. We didn't get Doug Harvey. I mean, they were great players. John G. Talbot, come, you know, didn't start the season with us. Uh, but when he came in there, what I say, he'd won three Stanley Cups. And, uh, I mean, you watch him play, and, and, and in those days, on the ice, he never cheated you once on the ice. He stuck up for his teammates well, when he was out there. But it was just, I mean, you sit on the bench and you see them come down. Guys, you know, there was Bobby Hall wind up for slap shots. You know, he didn't slide. He put his body right in front of them. And uh, you'd look at it. And I know my brother Barkley, when he came in here, he, Bark was an offensive guy. Never blocked shots in his career. But he played with Al. I mean, and he started blocking shots. I mean, Bark's body was black and blue, but it was his back. So I just <laughs> 
he would turn his back, but Al taught him how to block shots. But, uh, you know, just a leader, quiet. Uh, but in those days, family, you know, and a big part of him was his family, his wife. You know, and it was a thing when the players there with Mr. Solomon and uh, Carol Solomon uh, with uh, Al Arbor's wife. They'd get together. So the team would go on the road, and it was Al Arbor's wife that had the, the wives all together. And um, I mean, it was just... He led on the ice. He was the greatest, and his wife, uh, family off the ice with the uh, with the wives and the kids. So you couldn't ask for a better one. No, you couldn't I... ask for a better captain. How funny was Al Arbor when he needed to be funny? Well, he had uh, cute little sayings. Al was a uh, you know pretty good. He was loose, but you know he really didn't have to be <laughs> that funny because our team with uh, John G. Talbot and Noel Picard, but. Uh, you know, he arranged a lot of the parties, but he was the, like the dry humor. And, uh, you know, he was my brother's roommate just all the years here. Every once in a while, Scotty would split him up. He had me room with Al Arbor one time, but after four trips or road trips or something like that, he, he took me away from Al because I said, you know, why, why why am I not rooming with Al now? He says, well, I'd sooner have one crazy guy running around breaking curfews and two. <laughs> So he put me back with uh, with Noel, <laughs> but there was the one trip I gotta tell the story, and and I really it really scared me. And it was a at the time it was funny, but in Minnesota, and we check into the hotel, and he's my roommate, and I get my key first, and I go up to the room and I open the door, and there's garbage, the beds aren't made, there's bottles on the table. I mean, and it's you know it's you look and you go, oh jeez, you know. Maybe somebody's there. So the first place you go is you open the closet door to see if there's any clothes or anything hanging in there. And there's nothing there. But I stay in the closet. I close the door because I know Al's coming up and I'm hiding in the closet. And the door opens and Al comes in. You can hear him go, Jesus, what's going on here? And he comes over and he opens that closet door while I jump out and scream at him. Well, he drops his bag. He goes against the wall. He turns white. I think he's having a heart attack, <laughs> but I scared him, and that was it. You went, but, you went all Cato Inspector Clouseau on him. <laughs> yeah, but you know, and now you know, as a player, when he did become the coach here, you know, and being a roommate, knowing all the players, like you talked to Al when he was in here, he didn't do that good here. He was here, but he'll tell you that. It was so tough because you're rooming with uh, the players uh, one year. You're going out drinking with them. You're going, to, and then you have to stay away from. Them. You can't uh, be with anymore. And it was tough to coach the guys. And there was the one time he came in. He called Barkley and I in, and uh, he says, "You know, he says, here's what I'm going to do, and I want you guys to back me up. And this is, I'm going. And we're not playing well, but he says, I'm going to come in there and I'm going to yell at Barkley, you and Bob and." You're not playing. You're not doing this. You're this year. I'm just going to tear into you. And if the players see me yelling, scream at you and get on you, uh, maybe they'll go, maybe they'll turn them around. They'll say, oh, if he's going to yell at those guys, you know, what's he going to do to us? So he yelled at us a couple times in there in between periods in one game. And, you know, after a couple of games, Bark and I had to go to Al and say, Al, you know, don't yell at us and don't do that anymore. Blame us. I says, the players are believing you. They think we are playing bad. (laughs) <laughs> you but know, when he left, when Al left here, and he did go to the Islanders, and then I was scouting. I was in the scouting then, and 
you go in and see him, and uh, he says, what a difference. He got in there. He didn't have one player on the team that he played with or that he roomed with. He says, you know, all the coaches, the coaches I've had, they put it all together a little bit from every coach. And he says, now you're your own coach. You're your own guy. And uh, what a success story that is in the Islanders, what he did in the Island. Bobby, I Bernie Federico touched on this when we called up Bernie to talk about your brother Barkley. And, you know, the, the challenges and the scenarios back then and sort of how some of the coaches and player coaches was handled is a scenario that would be completely foreign to anybody really in sports in the last 20 to 30 years unless – Unless it was, you know, a player assistant coach, you know, which is how you got around certain cap situations from a minor league standpoint. What what was it like to, I mean, in the same year that he ends up being the head coach for 50 games and had a record of 21-15-4 in that 70-71 season, he also played 22 games that year. How did that work? Well, you know, they were grooming him, and I think what was going on here with Scotty, and if you look at Scotty sometimes, Scotty, uh, you know, stayed around the point and the guys, the coaches and all this here. But, you know, that's what I say. The playing part was good. I mean, he loved that. But when he got back there and it was, you know how tough it was to be uh, out with the guys. One year you're out drinking, you're going to the spots, you're on the road, you're having a good time, you you go to the parties together. And uh, then when you're coaching, and I always remember in those days, there were no assistant coaches, no this year. And when you were the coach and you went on the road, you had one guy to go out with, and Dan Kelly was the announcer. So Dan Kelly spent all this time with uh, Scotty when he was in here and then when Al was there. So you go on the road, you don't have five assistant coaches. You don't have all this here. You're alone, and, and it's tough. And, you know, you talk about him, and there was another guy too, was Doug Harvey, was the greatest New York, never made the playoffs. He went into New York. He took that team. I think he might have been uh, coach of the year or something, but he took the New York Rangers and put them in the playoffs, and he was God in New York. But he quit the next year because he just didn't enjoy it. He knew the guys were out. He missed being with the guys. So Doug Harvey went and played in the minor leagues because he just loved to play and be with the guys. And, you know, years later, he ended up here in St. Louis playing here. So. It was a lot different there on the coaches. And I was remembered, too. How would you like to go on the road, the players go out, and you're the only guy. You know, you don't have an assistant coach. You don't have this. You're the only one. So it was tough on those guys. Did you like him as a coach? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I loved him as a coach. And, and you wanted him to play better. You wanted him to, to succeed. and yeah, be. Oh, yeah, I mean... He was a defensive guy, and the way he played, it was, um, well, you're going to go out, you're going to bust your butt for him, and he was strict, and he was things, and I'm sure you sit with the guys that played in the island, they'll tell stories about Al and the way he was and the way he treated the players in there. I mean, he treated everybody the same. You were the superstar. You sat the bench. You did this. And no matter what you thought, but when you win all those Stanley Cups at the end, you always go, hey, that guy was the best. And, uh, and you know, Curry, you're doing all these stories here right now. You know, I'm thinking you're talking about we had Red on, we had about Bark, and we're doing Al now. And somebody should sit down and from the St. Louis Blues, when Scotty coached here, the first coach, how many players 
that played for Scotty that went on to become coaches in the National Hockey League. Ooh. I mean, Rick Barkley and Red and Jimmy Roberts and uh, myself for a short time and John D. Talbot, Terry Crisp won a Stanley Cup. Uh, and then like Hal Arbor, <laughs> I mean, Scotty Bowman, you know, we get back to him. It's, it's for Al Arbor's show. You know, I was sitting there talking. All, all of us played for Scotty. And yeah. I think all of us used a little Scotty when we coached too because later on you realize the guy's, Stanley Cups he had won, uh, so there, he must have known something. And I think it's like Al Arbor when you're with him. He said he he had some great coaches he used from every coach. What was he like for you as as the years went along, Bobby? And he coached all those years with the New York Islanders. You were doing scouting at the time and traveling around when the two of you would catch up. Yeah, well, I made sure, and it was after every game I went down and. And I knew where his wife said I would see her because she was at the game. She was at the game, sitting talking. I would go with Al after the game, and uh, and I had to promise Al when you're sitting there was players around, Bob, don't tell any stories, St. Louis, don't tell, because he was altogether different when he was in. Uh, I mean, for the players, we still sat around and joked, but uh, it, was, it was different there. He said, Bob, don't you? Now remember the time, Shh, Bob, don't say nothing. He said, don't don't give any of my players ammunition. <laughs> oh, uh, that's... Just, uh, what a great family i mean that's you know those early days were different than it is now so the stories and and you sit back here sit back and realize even yourself look around you go on that road trip you get on the airplane uh the number of press we had one writer that went with us and they didn't televise the games and and dan kelly so he was uh I mean, it's different uh, now. You go on the road, uh, the coach goes out with his four assistants, and there's, uh, uh, the GM probably travels with the team. And you... yeah. No, it was a lonely job then when you're out there. And the coach, you didn't have uh, video, you didn't have to this year, you never even knew what, who was on the other team in those days. Uh, they'd call up players, you didn't know how they played. and you know, It was a little different then. And you dressed less players. People don't understand when you were there, you dressed five defensemen and uh, you didn't, uh, you dressed two less players. Yeah, it was. Time. And so the coach was a, you know, and uh, you look at the coaches we've had in St. Louis, uh, the winningest coaches, I think we we had four out of five or something like that. Yeah, it is. It, well, we're that's. Here in St. Louis. Yeah, we mentioned that in the onset of the show. Four out of the top five, and the only reason it's not the top four was last year Barry Trotz uh, yep. surged past Al Arbor's uh, 782. But Scotty Bowman, then Joel Quenville, then Ken Hitchcock, and then it's Barry Trotz, number four, and Al Arbor still number five. 42 of those 782 wins came with the St. Louis Blues. Bobby, I love catching up on these stories with you. Thanks for giving us some time. Uh, as always, uh, they're awesome to hear as we keep people connected to the origins of blues hockey in St. Louis. Well, anytime, and and I enjoy it too. There's it brings back a lot of memories, and they're all good memories. And there's bad things in there, but they're all good, and they got better last year. <laughs> uh, that that they did. We'll, we'll, we'll do it again real soon, Bobby. Thank you very much. Up. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's Bob Plager here as uh, we continue on Behind the Bench, brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When we come back, another former blue. But well, this one played for Al Arbor 
with the New York Islanders. Ray Ferraro is going to join us to give us his perspective on the NHL legend, former Blue Al Arbor. That's coming up next. Well, welcome on back to Behind the Benches, brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Chris Kerber with you here on a Wednesday night. Glad to have you with us. As this week, we are highlighting and profiling Al Arbor. Now, as we've talked about a little bit earlier on, you know, Al only coached the St. Louis Blues for just a, a few years. As a matter of fact, it, only one full season, but but of his 782 wins as a coach, which is right now the fifth most in the National Hockey League history, 42 of them came with St. Louis. But Al started with the St. Louis Blues as a player. The Blues chose him in the expansion draft before the 67-68 season, and they claimed him from Toronto. And Al Arbor, of course, had won a Stanley Cup with Chicago, then won a couple with the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. But eventually became a St. Louis Blue and went to three Stanley Cup finals with the St. Louis Blues. Well, we reached out to another former Blue, and that's Ray Ferraro. Ray Ferraro played with Al, for Al Arbor with the New York Islanders, and we want to focus on kind of his coaching career, what he was like uh, at, at that point in time, and to be a coach. And we'll tell you the story, too, about what the really cool thing the New York Islanders did to make sure Al got to 1,500 games coached. But, Ray, first off, thanks for joining us. How are you? Uh, we're good. Um, thank you. We're, um, you know, like everybody else, uh, we're, you know, we're just kind of hanging day to day and trying to make each day as interesting as possible. And, um, you know, we're in Vancouver. And so it, you know, it seems now that every piece of North America is a little bit itchy and everybody wants to get back to normalcy. And, um, some areas are more restrictive than others. Uh, in Vancouver, it's, I would say it's pretty tight. Um, you know, you're you're not going out to the parks and playing. Those are closed. Um, you know, they, they let you kind of, if somebody's running around the park, they, they seem to let that go. Uh, but there's no gatherings. There's um, If you're sitting around and um, they have actually monitors that go around to the park, and if, if people are sitting there with their friends and they're closer than six feet, they just they give them a little a little notice, you know, a little hey, hey, and everybody spreads out again. I mean, they're, we're doing our best here. And uh, we got a 10- and a 13-year-old Curbs, and um, I'm, I think the, the happiest they've been in this time has been when it was Easter weekend and they said they got a pro-D day from us as teachers. <laughs> and I think that was good news for them. <laughs> so Cammy and I are uh, doing our best to, you know, move along the schooling a little bit. But, you know, it's – man, it's just – so strange isn't it just we're, it is. we're always so busy and then you sit and then you're like the first couple of days you're climbing the walls and now we're into a little routine we talked off air i mean our family eats together every night we've in my life i've never done that like since i turned <laughs> pro right so it's yeah. just it's it's really been in some ways it's been really really quite awesome um certainly the bigger picture is man, you can't help but look out, outside and feel for people that have been sick and lose loved ones and for all the, the doctors and nurses and support people and lab techs and volunteers. Man, oh, man, I just I look at their commitment and I'm like, well, how the hell can't we stay in the house? We yeah, can do that. that that's, that's exactly right. I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing well and are safe up there as, uh, as the world battles this situation. Let's talk a little bit of Al Arbery. He was your coach when you were playing for the New York Islanders. What was he like? Oh, what a guy. You know, I mean, man, Al was the best. He was, he, was so, he was so stern, 
yet he never really had to be stern. Like when Al walked in, there was no question who was in charge. So when I got to the Islanders, they'd already won their four Stanley Cups. And so I certainly knew of Al and of Bill Torrey, the general manager by reputation, and, but I'd never met them. And the first time I talked to Bill Torrey, like you just felt like you were talking to authority. You know, but it wasn't overbearing. It was just like, we traded for you. This is what's going to happen. This is how it works. Here you go. And, of course, this is 1991. It's not like today right. when, you, when a guy gets traded and they give him a welcoming packet with here are the doctors and the nurses and um, here are the restaurants. This is where all the guys live. Man, back then you were for, on your own. But Bill was like, it was so clear what I needed to do. And then I, I get in and I meet Al Arbor, and I'm like, you know, the guy, of course, even then was just a legend. And he, he was really direct with me. And, and I, I, I can see why some players were like, oh, man, he's hard to play for. For me, I loved it. He called me in. We had a meeting. I mean, if you couldn't see the message of the meeting by the time you left, you either weren't listening or you weren't very smart. Like, it was so clear. What kind of and communicator was, was he? Direct with a capital D. Okay. I'll, I'll, give, you a, I'll give you a quick story. Um, um, 1992, in November, I get shoved into the boards by Cam Russell of the Blackhawks. I break my leg and dislocate my ankle. I'm out for three months. So I come back. There's six games left in the regular season. And, like, I'm heading one way, the puck's going the other. Like, it. I was so far away from playing, right? I needed games. So I play three games. I don't touch the puck, basically. And uh, Al calls me into his office. We, have a, we finish a game, and we had a game the next night on the road, probably in New Jersey because we were just, I was collecting my sticks to put on the wall to, <laughs> to, you know, to go on the bus the next day. And so, because it's only like you know, a 45-minute ride. So I hear Al... Um, his wall is connected to the stick room. And he says to the trainer, I can hear him because his voice was so deep. He's, he says, get me the frickin' seagull, which is what he called me. Because he said, if I wasn't pooping, I was squawking. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not good, right? So I, I kind of hide out of the stick room and it takes the trainer about 10 minutes to find me. You know, I went to the lounge and then I moved somewhere else. I'm trying to let Al cool down. So he says, hey, uh, Al wants to see you. So I go in. Curbs, I'm telling you, I don't get three feet inside the door. And he said, uh, Seagull, you got three games to get going or you're going to be sitting in the stands with Claire. And Claire was his wife. And he says, she's been in the same goddamn seats for 22 years. <laughs> and I stood there and and I was like, because uh, there was three games left. Right. And I stood there, and it didn't say anything. And he says, anything else? And I was like, well, I guess it didn't need to be more clear than that. So I said, <laughs> nope. And I turned around, and I left. And so what I, at the time, I was like, holy crap, he's really putting me under the gun. But what, what he did, and this is why I think, many, many, many people responded was uh, to his coaching and to the way he was, is that he gave me a chance. He didn't say, hey, you're crap right now. You're playing terribly. i got to take you out of the lineup. He says, you got three games. And we were still trying to make the playoffs curbs. It's not like we had a, a cushion. 
he said, you got three games. To, he gave me the chance to be a player again. So we start the playoffs, and I scored 13 goals in 18 games. We got knocked out in the semifinals. When I left the playoffs, uh, Wayne Gretzky had, 13, had 14 goals, and I had 13. But that wouldn't have happened if he didn't give right. me the chance. Just a phenomenal person. That is Ray Ferraro. He's joining us here tonight on the Boardwalk Carver Floors Behind the Bench show. He's going to stick around for us. There's more to come as tonight on the program we profile Al Arbor. We'll be back in a moment here on 101 ESPN. And welcome you back into the Boardwalk Carbo Floors Behind the Bench show. Glad to have you with us. Don't forget the home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Carbo Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. We continue to profile Al Arbor tonight, and Ray Ferraro, kind enough to stick around and, and join us. And, you know, the, the Ray, I guess the next question for me is, for a guy that is as direct as you were talking about, what made him such a good coach, how direct and how blunt he was and how honest he was, for as long as he played and then as he coached and, and coaches four straight Stanley Cup championship teams from 80 to 83, shoot, they went to the final in 84, losing to the to the Edmonton Oilers in that one. But the, the thing about Al Arbor is he was beloved just about everywhere he went. What made him? despite the fact that he could be as direct as he could, such an endearing figure for everybody. Oh, I, I, for me, Curbs, that's easy. It's that he was always honest. He was always fair. He loved to laugh. Like when you heard Al laugh, like everybody laughed. Like he had this big, like his voice, I used to say his voice could, could slice a ham in half. Like it was so right. that's awesome. deep. It was just like, it was just really like, whoop. You know, and <laughs> when he laughed, like, oh, my gosh, there was something really funny going on. He was such a good person. His wife is such a lovely woman. Claire is amazing. And so, as you know, by the time we got to the Islanders, you know, Al was, you know, was 60 years old. And he was like, man, he just got, he got a chuckle out of what was going on. There was myself and Glenn Healy and Pat Flatley that sat the first three, uh, first three seats inside the locker room. And if something happened and we'd start to give it to Al a little bit, behind the door, he would laugh and he'd call us in and be like, you know, and kind of give it to us a little bit, you know, a little back and forth. Heels, Glenn Healy talks about Al was like your dad, like you just didn't want to disappoint him. And I think probably Plagues and those guys that played with him, they felt the same way. Here's a guy who can't see five feet in front of him. He's wearing glasses in an right. NHL game. And He's thick blocking glasses. Shots. Well, thick glass. My man, if you if one of those dropped on your foot, you probably break a toe. <laughs> right? The glasses were enormous. But everything about Al was about character. It was about honesty, uh, integrity. And I you know, I, I thought of this right when you said, you know, he was selected by St. Louis in the expansion draft. That's an expansion draft player, somebody with that knows that, hey, it might not be that easy here. We might have some ups and downs. It turned out in St. Louis it went out real well, right, and they make the finals three years in a row. But you're looking for, you're looking for somebody that can stand up to some nights that are going to be tough. 
somebody that doesn't back away, somebody that always is trying to go forward. And all of that, in my mind, is what Al would have been like as a player. We had, in 93, when we went to the, fine, or to the semifinals, we played Pittsburgh. Uh, we won our first series, which was a huge upset. We beat Washington in six games, and then we get to Pittsburgh. Well, the Penguins will tell you, um, with Mario Lemieux and Yager and Ron Francis and Joey Mullen and 50-goal Kevin Stevens and Rick Tockett and Brian Trottier and, you know, Ulf Samuelson, Tom Barrasso was in goal, they'll tell you this was their best team. They won the two years previous, Stanley Cups in 91 and 92. And now us guys somehow into the playoffs on the last day are playing them in the division final. So we have a meeting before the before the series, and Al goes around guy to guy. And the lineups are written on the board. I mean, the, the difference is <laughs> fairly obvious, right? right? And he asks Travis Green, who is our checking center, he says, Travis, can you tie one shift against Mario Lemieux? And Travis is like, yeah, I can do that. And he says to Pierre Turgeon, can you tie a shift with Ron Francis? And Pierre's like, yeah, I can do that. He went around the room and he asked guys, can you tie a shift with this guy? And he he gave everybody a player. So he went around the room, and of course everybody's like, yeah, I can tie one shift. He goes, good. Do you think we could win a few shifts? And we're like, yeah, we could win a few shifts. He goes, that's all we need. That's all we need. We don't need anybody to be better than Mario Lemieux. We need you to tie him. And then once in a while, beat him on a shift. <laughs> Simplified it. The Penguins in Game 7 in overtime had no business even being in the series. But Al gave us a belief. There was a, like he just, he knew the way to connect to us. And we went out there, and I'm telling you, Darius Kasparaitis, ran around like a crazy person, and he made the series miserable for Yager and Lemieux. Miserable. He'd say before the game, the night that I, I hit Yager five times tonight. And he'd go out and just like, it was like his mission to hit Yager five times. And remember what the games were like in the 90s, right? They were like, it was pretty hard to get a penalty back then. And we dragged this thing down into the mud, and Al just kept shoving and shoving, but he did it the right way. And this would never have been possible without Al. Like, there's no way. There's no other guy would have come up with this. Like, I'd never heard it before. Can you tie a shift with that guy? Well, of course you can tie one shift, right? Like, who can't? And then you just need to beat him for what? Now, you had a chance. You gave the speech uh, back on June 4th of 1994 when – you know, at, at Al Arbor's retirement, he spoke, uh, Nystrom spoke, you spoke. What was that like for you? Oh, I was nervous um, to to be there, you know, because we all love Al so much, and you want the right words to come out in the right way. Um, you know, the the guys that were speaking, you know, they had, they had Stanley Cup connections to Al. Right. Right, like, you know, and... So, you know, we didn't. We were like the next team that was any good after they had their Stanley Cup run uh, end by the Oilers. And, and you know, the Islanders had really fallen on some tough times, and here we are, we're in the semifinals. It was like, you know, it was, it was amazing. Um, for Long Island, for, man, that building was just shaking when we played in there. It was amazing. But to listen to these guys, what I got out of it was, man, I'm just going to talk about the same things they talked about because it's the same. 
Right. Like Al was younger, sure, and those teams were great, sure. But what they were talking about, the integrity, the the way he pushed them, the way that there was a time to laugh and giggle around and have some fun, but, man, there was a time to go to work. And and I would say, um, without being in the locker room with, with Chief, with Craig Berube, yep. but my son played for him, Landon played for him in Chicago of the uh, – of the American league a few years back, he told me that, that there's nobody more honest and clear than chief, but he just loved, loved playing for him. And so what chief did in the year and a bit that he's been the coach, the head coach there sounds pretty similar to what Al did. Like, like it's just take away all the frills, right? This is what it is. So when I spoke, it felt natural to talk about Al. Pretty cool what the because Islanders honestly, did, wasn't it? I, there's, not a, there's not a coach. I've been asked a thousand times, best coach you ever played for, and I'm telling you, it's not even a second of thought, and it's Al. Wow, that's fantastic. Because you played a long time. Uh, 18 years, and I yeah. played for some really good guys. Joel Quenville yep. was my last coach in St. Louis, and you know, aside from being a teammate and a friend, I mean, Joel is, a, is an exceptional coach. Um, obviously going to be a Hall of Fame coach is, you know, as soon as his number comes up, but you know, like, you know, Joel was just a, an amazing coach. But Al, for me, um, I needed I needed that after my first trade. I needed that direction. I needed that discipline uh, to say, yeah, you are a good player. Um, you can score some more. And it turned out I had my best years uh, playing in in Long Island. Well, that's that's awesome. Pretty cool in the end too, wasn't it, Ray? How with 1,499 games coached that the Islanders in 2008 brought him back for one game to coach. Ted Nolan stepped aside as the head coach for the one game, was an assistant on the bench. Al Ooh. Arbor coached that. They won that game, and at the end of the game, everybody stuck around. They brought uh, he and his wife, Al and his wife Claire, onto the ice, and they raised the 1,500 banner right then and there. I, like that's What a cool moment for him. Well, it, it must have been amazing. Um, and how about Ted Nolan having the wherewithal to stand behind the bench and keep looking up at that banner that said 1,499 games. Right. And, and him saying, that's not right. Like 1,499, that's not right. And he pushed and um, the organization into, hey, we can do this. There's a way we can do this. We can bring Al back. We can do this. And and it was just a – I mean, he's a beloved figure in Long Island. They can move to the new building. They can do whatever they want. They can win 10 more Stanley Cups. Al Arbor uh, has cemented his place in in not just Islander history but in, in National Hockey League history. I mean, as time goes on, we start talking about other players and other coaches and managers and really curbs when you called for, you know, to say, hey, could we do something? I mean, of course, for Al, of course. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one other thing here. Like, um, Al was in a nursing home in, in Florida, and um, you know he'd had a stroke and could still communicate just uh, just a tad, right? But enough. He knew people, and um, so myself and Pat Flatley and Glenn Healy and Benny Hogue and um, this guy uh, Steve Walsh, who did a lot of our uh, training. Uh, for us, our um, our therapies when we were injured, we flew down to Florida, and we met with Claire, and it was both sad and beautiful to see Al. Um, 
you know, we told some stories. Some he under, some he remembered, some he didn't. He gave Healy a shot about letting in a bad goal, which you know, of course, just cracked us up. We told Claire some stories about um, uh, about Al that you know pertained to us, and she told us a couple that we hadn't heard about Al. And um, I, I don't know, it just seemed when when I forget who put this idea. Oh, it was Benny Hogue. Benny Hogue reached out and said, "Hey, let's do this." And so, uh, can you make it? And it worked out. Our schedules could, you know, we made the schedules work, and our schedules could work. And we went down there, and it just felt like the absolute right thing to do uh, to say goodbye, Tal. Well, I kept you longer than I should have. I apologize for that, but I do have one more question for you because the stories have been great, Ray. As we're talking with Ray Ferraro, former Blue, but he played for Al Ferraro with the New York guy, or he played for Al Harbor with the New York Islanders as well. And that, that's who we're profiling here tonight on Behind the Bench. You mentioned this when you and I were talking off air just real briefly, but, you know, the St. Louis Blues having come in, in, in much like the New York Islanders who came in a few years, a couple years later, Blues come into existence in 67, 68. So when we still go back and talk St. Louis Blues history, we are still talking recent history that people still have a personal connection to. If you're a fan of the Blackhawks, if you're a fan of the Red Wings, if you're a fan of an original six team, if you're a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals, and you try to talk early franchise history it's so long ago that it's nothing but a written memory or stories you might have heard over years and years and decades but this is still recent memorable history so people here in st louis there are still those that knew al that that still have a personal connection to his time as a st louis blue and the type of person that he was they would know him there if they were hockey fans, which of course they were, because they were Blues fans, they would have followed and seen Al win the four Stanley Cups in Long Island. Like there would always be a connection that hey, he was a Blue, he was one of us. And what I saw last year in the finals when I was there doing work for TSN was um, uh, the overwhelming support, a from community, which was astounding to me, um, and b from the alumni. Like how many people just they want to be around the blues and it's um it was really really something to see and a lot of those guys at the box at the alumni box or you saw around the rink they were so connected to al you could have you could curbs you could have got out a thousand stories about al yep. and some of them would have been so funny because he was so intense and yet he would end up laughing at himself somewhere along the line <laughs> That's 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 just awesome. Well, you are part of that family, Ray. You're a Blues alum and 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 a big part of the the team as well. So th- thanks so much for giving us uh, some of your time today. And you know, best of luck. Uh, stay healthy, you, Cammy, and the kids. And and hopefully we'll be uh, standing next to each other talking hockey before too long again. Yeah, that would be great, Curbs. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, to everybody in St. Louis, be well, be safe, and um, we hope we get back to whatever the heck it was we were doing before this, however long it takes, but we do it as safely as we can. Well, that's Ray Ferraro, and a big thanks to him, to Bobby Plager, uh, for helping out with the program today, as well as Mike Ryder helping produce the show. And my thanks to you for tuning in each and every Wednesday night. Not an easy time that people are going through. We understand. Hopefully we can give you just a small break in your day as we educate you for those that are new to blues hockey or bring back memories for those that have been a Blues fan from day one as we profile different players and coaches for the St. Louis Blues here on Behind the Bench. It's the Boardwalk Carbo Floors Behind the Bench show every single Wednesday coming your way from 6 to 7 p.m. Tomorrow night, 
Play Gloria, brought to you by Mitsubishi Heating and Cooling and McDonald's as well as we continue our series of all the playoffs wins from last season. And tomorrow night, it's Game 6, Blues and Winnipeg Jets. We'll see you tomorrow night with a pregame show starting at 6 o'clock here on 101 ESPN.